Contraston Club, yeah, you know that's us. Where we only speak the real and the real rock with us. Where we motivate the people in the politics. What's happening? It's Contrast Uncut. It's season four, episode seven. I want to make sure I give a big shout out to Uncle Snoop's Army and Bobby D Presents. I appreciate you, brothers. It's your host, Zylo, aka DJ Juan Dollars, like I won some money. Ladies and gentlemen, today we got a really incredibly dope special guest. He has the right energy and he's always praying that everyone wins. He's from the Shy Town, Chicago, Illinois. He's a legendary super producer, entrepreneur, music executive, and film producer. He is well known for curating and co-producing Tupac's biopic, All Eyes on Me. He has rich history in the industry. He was the head of A&R at Ruthless Records at such a prominent time and worked on several big projects for Death Row Records. Now, as a music producer, this brother is re-certified multi-platinum. In addition to working with Pac, he produced records for Snoop Dogg, Mariah Carey, Easy e NWA, Bone Thugs, Crazy Bone, The Brat, Ashanti, Bow Wow. I almost got to catch my breath to name some more. But Nate Dogg, Daz, MC Ren, this brother's been working for a long time, and it's all in the pudding. Everything you look at is just incredible when you see it and hear it. He's also had a lot of placements and worked on multiple movie soundtracks. And if you don't know who I have on the show by now, it's all good. We got our episode to chop it up with the king of educatement, LT Hudden, everybody. How you doing, brother? What's going on, Playboy? How you living, man? I'm blessed, man. Blessed. You know, out the way, above water, and breathing good air. No question. No question. So, brother, I got let you know time's the most finite thing we have on this earth so i gotta tell you from the jump i appreciate your time i appreciate you taking the time to fuck with me and the viewers brother thank you and the question man all day 100 man uh speaking of time lt brother what's a normal 24 hours for you um we good on sound you're not getting no echo or nothing right no you sound great okay uh for me i wake up and i grind <laughs> you know what i'm saying so for me, a 24 hours a day is, is, is spent plotting and planning the next move. You know what I'm saying? Like, well, our statement always, let your next move be your best move. And, you know, a lot of times people just go freestyle. You can't, you got to plan, man. Preparation meets dedication, as young Nip say. You know what I'm saying? Um, that's our whole theory. You know what I'm saying? That was always our style. You know what I'm saying? When preparation meets dedication. You own, you know what I'm saying? So dedication means preparation, however you want to flip it. Um, so uh, 25 hours for me looks like a lot of planning and applying the planning to the plan. You know what I'm saying? Planning with no plan means nothing. You got to plan with a plan. Come on. You know what I'm so that, that for me is, is more... I'm a strategist, man. So my 24 hours, if I'm not actually doing the physical work, I spend most of my day uh, working on tracks, writing scripts, reading scripts, studying the craft. You know what I mean? Like my day stay full, man. So, you know, any any given day it could be whatever, but really constantly just working. You know, something I do want to point to the whole attention is that, you know, you don't use your potential to just be negative energy. You use all your potential daily, whether it's to this project, this writing, this reading, you know, this sound, whatever. So have you, you notice that in this game, you got to apply pressure wherever the hell you can get some air from. 
and I respect that. Yeah, because the thing is, man, like people that feel hate or spend their time hating on somebody, it's going to return back to you. Like you say, every finger, when you point one finger, look how many point back at you. So if I'm all day, every day, spending time on negativity or pointing out what somebody else is not doing for me, you understand? Who's responsible for me? These three fingers point back at me. I can point and say, oh, he's the reason, or this person, or this thing. I'm the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing. Come Somebody on. else try to get in my way, that's fine. But they can't because it's me, majority. So I try to be as positive as I can. And it's hard sometimes, man, because, you know, things seep in. And you have so much because everybody has an opinion. It used to be where you could silence the noise because you didn't have or hear as much of it because the internet wasn't around, social media wasn't around. But now a lot of noise seeps. So it gets harder to tune out that noise. So for me, I tune out the noise by just keeping my head into the works, you know what I'm saying? And the development of myself and my mind so I can keep creating. Because if you let that noise in, it will distract you, it will unfocus you, and you'll be worrying about they. You know what I'm saying? And the last time I checked, they didn't pay your bills. They weren't responsible. If you wake up in the morning, they not going to be there to help you. If you fall off, they don't give a damn about you. You understand what I'm saying? So you, you got to remove they. You right. know what I mean? So that's why I try to stay positive. Absolutely. No, you, you break a great point. Because if you want to point the finger at anywhere, go to a mirror point that at your at yourself in the mirror and realize that's going to be the person that's going to get you up and out of it because preparation and talking in that mirror gets you ready for the moment that if you're on camera or if a moment where someone's presenting an opportunity you could speak on it and the next thing you know that that door you didn't know was there existed because the relationship was bound and found and you know it's important to embrace those opportunities i got a quote let me know how this quote relates to you, brother, or if it doesn't. The idea is I just want you to talk about it. But I take every quote, you know, with, with the spirit of, like, I feel like it relates to, to my guest that comes on. So here we go. I want to grow. I want to be better. You grow. We all grow. We made to grow. You either evolve or you disappear. Tupac. And I'll honestly... I didn't know you was going to ask me that quote, but if you look at just what I just said, every day I get up and I try to grow. And growing, you have to silence the noise, water yourself. Don't expect nobody else to water you. But everything I just said correlates to exactly what, he, what that quote is. Water yourself every day. Get up and feed your mind the energy that you need to grow. You know what I'm saying? Because... Everything you do is fuel for growth. Anybody who is not growing, there's something wrong. Because you walk, you walk forward, not backwards. That's for a reason. It, it, it's significant. You move forward because it's forward progress, right? To digress is to be moving backwards. To move backwards is to be redundant. To be redundant is to be retarded. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? There's something wrong with it. You know what I mean? It's a default. Okay? So that speaks to me in volumes. You know what I'm saying? For the simple fact is I try to make sure that I grow every day. And the only way to grow is to 
perfect your craft, work on it, you know what I'm saying, and just keep progressing. The only way you're going to get better and grow is to keep doing something consistently, right? So, so you got to understand, that kid that picked up that basketball that first time, he didn't say, I was gonna make, I'm going to make millions of dollars. He loved playing basketball. And the more he played, the better he became. He grew. You know what I'm saying? Max. So anything you love to do and you keep doing it, the more you, the more you do it, you ever know that you get stronger. But I can start lifting weights today. I can start with five pounds. By the end of the month, I'll be up to 30 or 40, maybe 50. They keep growing. They keep growing. I'm stacking that weight off. And we don't wait on one on because I'm growing. You grow in everything you do, man. So I love that quote. So it relates to me as I, I try to live by that quote. Absolutely. You know, people forget what's the opposite of growing. It's dying. And so if you don't keep on feeding your mind, keep on elevating, keep on going to the next level, you know, you're going to become stuck in that time period where you could be lost. And once you start being lost, you know, you don't serve a purpose. And if you're not serving a purpose, you know, you're not going to do stuff for free that will help you evolve and like to understand what your passion is to get to that key. And, you know, everyone has to get a key to open a door to, to something big of an opportunity. Opportunities are as rare as money on the ground. And you know that for yourself and you create a lot of opportunities for yourself as well as you create a lot of money for yourself. So I want to know, speaking about the industry, did the game choose you or did you choose the game? I think we're, I think it's a bit of both. You know, I think, I think, when you find your purpose and you operate in your purpose, there's nothing you can do wrong in your purpose. You can do a lot of mistakes and make a lot of bad moves outside of your purpose because that's not your purpose. When you're operating in your purpose and in your spirit, you can't do anything wrong. So I believe that when you're operating in your purpose, the game chooses you. You know what I'm saying? I believe God prepares you for things that you didn't even know that you were getting prepared for. So like he gives his biggest battles to his strongest soldiers. So when everybody's saying, why me, why me, why am I going through this? Why am I going through that? Take that, take it all in because it's preparing you for the greater is going to happen later. You understand what I'm saying? So when I tell people, I, I'm grateful in the good times. I'm grateful in the bad times because I know that my bad seasons are nothing but preparation. You know what I'm saying? I need to be able to build my chin up. So, you know, God may have to sock me in the chin a couple of times so my strength can be strong. So when I'm in the position that, he, that in my purpose, I'm able to take that, you know what I'm saying, without getting knocked out. Because if I took it then without him conditioning me, I'd have got knocked out. So I'm able to stay in my purpose longer because of the trials and tribulations. The conditioning. Exactly. Oh, yeah. No, the conditioning prepares you for everything. You just got to not quit. And I think that's something we can all relate about Nipsey is that he always put that intuition and just never quit. And you can go through every emotion. But as long as you don't quit, you're going to reach your destination. You're going to arrive. And so many people get caught up on the idea I took off. And it's not the whole concept of taking off. You're going to float in the air for as long as possible until you land. But if you quit midway through the air, guess what happens to you? It's all fucking bad. You starting yeah. over. Yeah, it's, it's like, you know, there's people in this championship that didn't even play, right? But because they got there and they finished the job, they got a ring. They didn't even play. They didn't even contribute. But they finished the race and they all got rings. That ring is not going to be less value 
then LeBron's ring is going to be worth the same amount as this other person's ring. It's a ring. You know what I'm saying? You just got to you got to just stay the course, man. And you know, just winning in itself, finishing is winning. Come on. Come you know on. what I'm saying? Just finishing is winning. It don't matter finishing first, finishing last, just finishing in general, it's a win. You know what I'm saying? You actually get to close something. And you know, that's big in this world. If you can't close an idea from beginning to end and finish then you know what, you're just as much as everyone else that says, you know, what if I, or or I was almost there, almost didn't count for shit back then and the show don't count for shit now. Almost only counts in hand grenades and horseshoes. <laughs> you understand me? That's the only way, almost. You know what I'm saying? The grenade just getting a little close to you, you blow up, you still get them. That's almost. A horseshoe, you gotta get closest to the pin or on the pin. That's the almost. That's the only thing that counts. <laughs> So, LT, brother, what was your first confirmation that music and films was what you're supposed to do with your life? Because you bridged those gaps perfectly because a lot of people, they they don't know that them two go along. They come from the same tree of entertainment. I, I wouldn't say, you know, you, you would get a confirmation, more or less. I think you have to be, you have to confirm yourself. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Because the world, to, to apply the world's rules to God's plan, it's the number one mistake. You know what I'm saying? You can't you can't apply the world's rules to God's plan. Because, you know, one of the biggest ways to make God laugh is telling your plans. So the confirmation comes from you saying that this is what I'm gonna do and I'm going to do it. Now, the gratification of saying I'm in the right lanes comes from the gratitude that the people that appreciate the work or has been helped from the work or that you contribute to someone's life, that is the gratitude that, that you want to receive. And that gives you the affirmation, you know what I'm saying? Like confirmation of that you're doing the right thing. See what I'm saying? It's a confirmation that I'm on the right track because nobody's going to like everything you do regardless. But then there's that one person that come to you and say, hey man, you changed my life. I'm doing this because of this. And they tell you that their result of you not being uh, instrumental in their life could have resulted in someone else's death. That's very serious. You know what I'm saying? To give somebody hope, like when Nip gives me the credit for giving them that inspiration, you know, I hold that as a badge of honor because, you know, I was just doing, like Nip said, he's like, you know, LT was just being a real nigga. You know what I'm saying? Nobody knew what he was going to become or what it was. I was just being who I was put on this earth to be. You know what I'm saying? Operating in my truest form. And I felt compelled and compassion to do what I did for him because he was exhausted. You know, he was like, fuck the music game. I'm going to stay in the streets. I'm not going to do this. The higher level of thing, you know, it's, it's just not worth it. It's, you know, and he had, you know, he had that moment. And at that moment, thank God I was in a position to be able to lift him up and give him the gas he needed in his tank to continue his journey. You know what I'm saying? So that's, that's why he gave me that credit that he gave me. And it wasn't me asking for the credit, you know what I mean? I just did it, you know what I'm saying? And he respect that even more, I just did it. Because like he said, he didn't have a resume, he only had his energy, you know what I'm saying? So anybody could jump on a bandwagon once something is moving and they hot. You know, I've never been one of those guys. I've always liked to create the move not join the move. You know what I'm saying?
Come on, come on. There's more benefits when you create it. You know, manifestation and prayer goes along with, with creativity and, and believing into something. You have to manifest these magnificent ideas and you have to pray. But if you don't put any hard work with it, that's just dead air, dead ability. That's nothing. That's potential looking at it in its finest. And, you know, I want you to just tell the listeners about your journey on manifestations and taking the hard work and countless hours. Because we've all heard about Suge Knight saying you won't leave the studio. And, you know, that really shows the dedication and support that goes to your aspirations of appreciation of the game that you put out to us for us to love. Yeah, um, faith without works is dead. You know what I'm saying? Point blank. And for me, everybody wants to be famous with nothing to be famous for. You know what I'm saying? So that's what's going on in society in the world today. Everybody, everybody want to be famous, but it's why though? You have nothing to be famous for. You got to do the work. You know what I'm saying? The work will define you. You know what I'm saying? Like I said, don't, to, to not create due to what somebody else is going to say about the creation, you just killed yourself. You know what I'm saying? To say that I'm not going to get on and do my interviews or do my shows and just start on my show. If you, if you waited on NBC to give you a show, right? You contact me directly, boom, boom, boom. We don't think we on here talking. You got eight episodes? Yeah, I got a lot. <laughs> right. so, so, so you got your episodes. That's catalog. You did that, right? So if anybody was to try to tell you that you couldn't do it, you've done it. You know what I'm saying? You didn't wait on nobody. You got up for you. You made these things happen. Salute to you. You know what I'm saying? You got this platform. You're doing your thing. And you're now moving in your purpose. This is something that you started. So now... When the accolades come and, the, and all the things come, there's going to be an asshole who's going to try to tell you like you just started and that you got lucky. <laughs> How did you get lucky when you decided to turn this camera on, start doing these interviews, make these episodes? This is your world. There's going to be somebody out there who's literally going to tell you that you don't deserve it and you got lucky and whatever. It's like, I dare you. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, my thing is, you got to put in the work and the work. And once the light gets on you, like I said, I use this a lot of time because it's, it's a funny analogy. I love analogies because it breaks it down and brings it home for people. Bars. If, it, if there was a man who pissed great, just pissed great. And they, they heard about him and say, man, it's a guy who stands across this room and he pisses in a cup on the other side of the room. That's fantastic. It's great. He can he can piss on a, on a deck of cards and the, and the cards knock him off the bar. There's going to be people that will show up to watch this man piss because they said he was a great pisser. Something as simple and, and as weird as that because he did the work, whatever he did to make his piss game strong, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> to that point that the word got out there and receded, so now they're going to pay him to piss. Come on, come on. The, what you're talking about is attracting wealth, even if it is as dumb and as simple as pissing in a cup on the other side of the room. If you got them people in there and they pay, that's money in your pocket, you can't complain. It's the number one rule of business. Creating a customer and keeping them. He created a customer. A unique you know way. Come on. It's unique. People going to look at it. 
there's a lot of different phrases that you that people can coin, but there's a man who made that statement in business. He's a great businessman. He, he put it out there. The number one rule in business, create a customer and keep it. Facts, facts. Oh, yeah. I wanted to make sure we spend some time on the importance of perfecting your craft, putting in the hour after hour after hour work, putting to see your gifts on full display. That passion with life with a master work ethic is 10,000 hours put in. That's an outlier. Can you give the listeners a little insight on the path you took to achieve on your own personal success? Um, <clears throat> it was much harder for us back in the day because we didn't have everything given to us. So now as a producer, you know, you got tools. Everything is in the box. You know what I mean? Like back in the day, we had to literally create every sound almost from scratch. So you wanted a certain snare, you had to go find it, truncate it, put it in the machine, sample it. <clears throat> okay, you got it. Um, I remember one time getting on the mic and taking a, a Pepsi can and just, right? cracking it open and everybody like what the fuck is he doing play it back take it sample that into the mp next thing you know truncate it it's my snare i made a snare out of a, of a pepsi so you can hear in certain songs you hear that boom. that's a pepsi being open you know what i'm saying that i turned into an actual snare drum you know what I'm saying? So yeah. we would have to do certain things like that. You had bottles like Michael Jackson. They had the discovering of uh, of Michael Jackson's lost tapes, and he would do his own demos. And uh, uh, don't stop till you get enough. Don't don't It was like it's like a bottle sound. That was actually Janet on the bottles. She had a a little like a spoon on the bottles. That's, she's really playing the bottles. This is a true story. And they put that on the mic and that sound, everybody was wondering where the bottles sound came from, what synthesizer, what keyboard. No, that was literally Janet with the, uh, with the thing keeping the rhythm. You know what I'm saying? On the bottles. And it became a, a, a crucial sound. So uh, to say, going back to your original question, it's the length we went to to make sure that we worked on our craft and had a professional quality and, and creative sound, you know what I'm saying, of things. So so my journey was discipline. Like I said, we had to go make them kits. So we love those kits. Now you can buy a sample pack and it's got 17,000 drum sounds in it. So you don't appreciate sitting down at the keyboard and physically touching them. You, you really just click and drag everything. Like me still today, you can call me old school, whatever. I like to touch my keys. Some, some part of it I like to, to touch. If I take a sample, I still like to build around that sample with something I physically touch. A lot of people just, they walk in the studio with no keyboard, nothing, just click and drag everything and say, hey, I produced it. You know what I'm saying? That's true, that's true. No, yeah. you check me out right now because you collab with Pepsi and Pepsi don't even know it. And people <laughs> have the ability to collab with Pepsi on a track and Pepsi would never know. Yeah, I would close books for those sounds. I would do, you know, we did the live claps. You know, we sampled everything in. Then, like I said, um, you know, Roland, Lindrum, and all those uh, things had their sounds. And then, you know, we would truncate those to give you different bass sounds, man. So, like, we took pride in our kits. And 
you know, it was a harder discipline, but, you know, you appreciate it because sonically, you know, uh, a lot of West Coast cats, like we untouched when it comes to sonics. You know what I'm saying? That school of Dr. Dre, like sonically, yeah, that ear is it's like, it's different. You know, the East Coast, I loved what they did too, but, you know, maybe theirs was a little bit more grittier, a little dirtier. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, our stuff was really clean, and we took time. Yeah, we took time. So when you hear those those in between notes and that clarity, and then you know East Coast start you know doing what the West Coast was doing with the sound and clean some of the stuff up because the frequencies. Radio sometimes couldn't play certain things, but even like even Ron DMC, like uh, I would say like they had a lot of clarity when they were just doing drum samples. When it when it came to certain stuff, it got a little muddy. You know what I'm saying? But then Diddy and all those cats, you know, they cleaned that sound up, man, and they got it smooth. And then that's why when Notorious had that super, super clean sound, that's when he starts selling the, you know, because like, let's be clear, East Coast was selling a certain amount of records. But NWA, come on. And the, the West Coast movement, tell the truth. We were selling records. You know what I'm saying? They Three was going, they, the amount. yeah, they was going like gold, you know, here and there. Some of the super groups, you know, like Run and all that, you know, some of them would go platinum, you know what I'm saying? But when it came to five million, six million, sevens, and all that, that was us on the coast, baby. We started that. <laughs> you know, we talking about diamond rappers at a point that it wasn't a thing anywhere near weird on the East Coast. Like, this is a reality out here. You have people out here like, Chris the Glove, Taylor, and Ice-T working, doing Reckless and connecting with Dr. Dre because they were the only two brothers that had platinum records at the time. You know, you have history that goes on just because it's the uh, the land of opportunity and, you know, you don't stumble too far. You keep your energy right. You may fall into something great. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You know, so even like I said, even some of the down south stuff, you know, once they cleaned it up, it was a whole nother world. You know, LT, as we dig it into the music, I want to know what some of the highs and lows that you face just on the music side. Um, the, the question has to be broken down into pieces. Um, I really can't say I've had any lows, you know what I mean? Because any day that I'm able to create is a high. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Regardless of anybody gets to hear it, you know what I'm saying? Like, my creation is my creation. Like I explain to people often is if I'm painting and I put multiple colors of that, it's my art. Someone comes in and critiques or tells me to put red where I feel that my green should stay. Now it's no longer my art. It's a version of my art with someone else's input. So any day that I'm able to create something pure from my body of work in my mind of this is my art is a is a is a high. I can't I can't really go low. Now whether someone hears that theory or hears the greatness in it is subjective. Brother, I gotta just say one thing. I tell people all the time the greatest gift about interviewing producers that people don't understand. They get the canvas while it's blank. 
They have nothing. And all they do is build on their sounds until they paint this with all these different paints and they got this beautiful painting. And most people don't know, Picasso passed away in 1973. I just learned that. But they be making Picasso paintings with them sounds and they leave just enough space for a voice to come on there and be that instrument that they feel is comfortable to be in that opportunity. And you know, I give all credit to all producers because you can take a voice off of any record and a, a party will still go. But you take that beat off the record, off of, in the party, the DJ takes that beat off and you just got talking, you know, it's yeah. gonna sound cool, but it's not gonna be the same thing as we could party to. Yeah, and, and, so. and you gotta understand, and it's like getting people to understand what a composition is, it's, it's getting harder and harder every day because the disrespect for a composition and what it takes to make certain things. But like I said, I still give it the room and I, I category, categorize it as art. Like your art is your art. And um, <clears throat> like I've, I've had scenarios where I'll play a beat for artists, right? And the artist may not feel it, right? Then the same beat that I played, I let Dr. Dre play it or I let somebody else play it for him. Dog, Snoop, somebody. He played for him, and now it's brand new. It's sliced bread. So, like I said, it's subjective to what it is. And then they'll be like, this is the same beat? Like, yo, that's the same fucking beat. It sounds different now because who's playing it? Okay, that's fine. It don't matter to me. You know what I'm saying? It's my point. You know what I'm saying? Like, Drake takes the simplest beat, lays what he lay on it, and it goes. Somebody else on that same beat, the song may be trash. So it's subjective. Uh, the Andy Warhol paintings, you either like them or you don't. You know what I'm saying? Beethoven, you either like it or you don't. You can't critique Beethoven. He played some weird shit, but it worked. Come on. So when we get, <laughs> I tell people all the time, when you start to, like I'd rather do the work and be critiqued than to not do the work to ha and have done nothing. So with, with whatever project or whatever I'm working on, I know somebody's gonna have something to say, but it doesn't matter. I got it done. You know, people don't understand the whole point when we make something is to get the, the, get the conversation going about it. Whether it's positive, negative, the whole idea is to keep the spreading going because there was something in there that we felt that needed to come out and you know what? If you didn't like it, it's okay. You listened to it. You talked about it. My job was done. My objective was to get that thing done. And it got done. And, you know, that's something that people forget, that this whole thing is objective and subjective on both sides. Because, you know, there is a whole mission whenever something is creative. And people don't realize creativity, there's, there's a whole risk in that because you're putting out your shit to the world. And you can be judged. You, and you have to, you cannot deal with creating with the fear of being judged. I said that on my post. You cannot create with the fear of being judged because they're gonna judge you. Like, you know how long it took for Ice Cream Man to connect to the world? That song was out for a long time. P worked that record for about three, four years, maybe longer. You know what I'm saying? When, when Stepping in the Name of Love was a old song that Kells did. It took a long time for that to connect. It's just, you got to just do your body of work, man, and present that as an offering, you know what I'm saying, to the culture. It could be 12 years from now that you find, it could be 
30 years from now, because I, I started watching Black Exploitation as a kid, right? They made the movies be, the year I was born, some years before I was born. And then when I got to be 13, 14, I found those gems of Black Exploitation films. And I, everybody tell you, like I watched so many, me and Snoop, we watched so many 70s movies, it don't make no sense. Like we know all of them by heart. Still to this day, I enjoy those bodies of work. A lot of those people are dead and gone, and I get inspiration, and those films touch me, motivate me, even on my independent of saying ownership, seeing how they got done and seeing how they just had to go make this slew of films. Like, we still haven't had that type of Russian film since Black Exploitation. We get maybe two films a year, you know what I'm saying, uh, of culture films. You know, back then, the motherfuckers like Dolomite. <laughs> He just went and just started making shit. You know what I'm saying? Mm. And that shit blew up. You know what I'm saying? Because he just made the content. He didn't care what they said Hollywood's depiction of him should have been. You know what I'm saying? He wasn't some handsome male lead, this and that. He was out of shape. Like, well, you know what I'm saying? He didn't fit of what the, the, the mold is. So he created his art and put his offering out to the culture the people that received it, received it. The people that didn't, they didn't. But there's a whole lot of people who benefited and understood where Dolomite came from and are Dolomite fans to this day. You know, I feel like someone needs to bring back the Mac and then find a way to make it connect to the scammers. And then I'm just going to leave that idea where it's at. <laughs> hey, I got, it's, it's not really the Mac, but I got, I got one based on scammers, though. You know what I mean? It's a L.A. It's a new L.A. story to live and die in L.A. Mm. Which is, uh, it has nothing to do with pop. I just love the title because it's, you know, it's to live and die in LA. And it's, it's everything that people do to make the choice whether to live and die in LA. You know what I'm saying? And, and they got those choices. And, it's, and that encompasses everything that's going on in the city right now. You know what I'm saying? From the flocking to the gang banging to the Hollywood scene. You know what I'm saying? to the, the, the stories of, of people that, that just want to survive, the stripping, everything, man. It's the town. It's really, really, it's really to live and die in L.A. But it's, it's, it's a journey, man. It's, it's dope. It's real dope. No, I agree with you, brother, 100%. You know, I failed Pac when I was a kid, and he said everybody in L.A. got a little thug in them. And, you know, it carried along with me because if I ain't, you ain't had that right influence or the right person telling you something gangster, you're going to get your ass mopped up in them streets. Man, and that's the biggest misconception about Tupac, man. People don't ever want to hear the real truth and the real story about Tupac. They want some fascinated, over-personified version of who the brother was. And to do that is to not understand and not know Tupac. You want, people want to create their own version of Pac, which is okay to a certain extent until you start trying to change what his true meaning was. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So even in the film, everybody wanted this over-personified, glorified version, and everybody that knew him understands, like, yo, that's Pac. You know what I'm saying? I can't just have him as some young, ignorant, crazy motherfucker, because nobody, who wants to see some nigga just running around going crazy? So when they say, well, you didn't put this, you didn't put that, what I did was took a voice, right? So there's a through line in that script. 
you can argue with me. You can argue with the friends. You can argue with other people. You can't argue with Tupac. So that movie is based on a through line of Tupac's words and storytelling, right? So any part you pick in there, uh, it's 98% all Tupac's words. You know what I'm saying? You, I can give you the story of where that scene came from or where it derived from. It's based upon all Tupac in the truest form. Tupac wrote his own story. So when people want me to, to, to wave the fans on stupid shit about what he did with Stretch or whatever, like the intricals of that particular story, we don't got to tell that whole story. Stretch is not here to tell his rebuttal. So we'll give you the outline of it and what effect it had on Pop. Anything that it didn't affect Pop wasn't going in the movie. Only had two hours and 20, you know what I'm saying? I needed, you know what I'm saying, a, a fucking 30-hour special. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Back. I didn't have that. So the intent was to give you a outline, the through line of the important things of who Tupac was, who he wanted to be, and who he had to be to survive the world he was introduced into. To set a example, not an excuse, but to give you a reason or some understanding on why he moved the way he moved. Not making excuses for it, but just let me give you some insight on why this man conducted himself in a certain way. Why he felt the need to jump in every scenario and try to save everybody. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Not just show me some nigga that just, I want to fight this person, I want to fight. No, I want to show you why he wanted to fight. I want to show you why he was like this. I want to give you a glimpse of high school and how everything kept getting snatched away from him. He wanted to protect certain things. And like I said, anybody who sit and watch the movie with a clear heart and mouse, everybody called me, everybody's, everybody. Yo, I, it's the jewels are in there. Now, if you're not a higher thinker, there's nothing I can do for you. <laughs> you know what I'm because I, I, I could have brought Tupac himself back and people are going to have something to say if you want to pick at something. You know what I'm saying? Because it's never going to be told in, he had too many layers. So one day of Pac's life could have been a movie. Thanks. Okay, so to put all of that together and create a through line that is most important to not me, but to Tupac, meaning his great, one of my favorite quotes is, I may not change the world, but I guarantee I spark the brain that does. Yeah. So every uh, screening, every viewing, every, everybody that came into it, not trying to be a Tupacologist and just watched it for what it is, number one, they said, I appreciate seeing the journey in full. Even friends, like Money B. Money B was like, this is it's interviews on, online too. Money B said, what I loved that I got to see the throughality myself. He was he's he was there for a portion, but this is the misconception people don't understand about Pac is Pac was everywhere. Using so, yeah, so he so when you when you you don't get to see everything he's doing, because like I said, we didn't have social media. You know what I'm saying? Everything wasn't overexposed like that. There was no TMZ. So certain stuff you found out later or you found out through somebody telling you the story. So this story is put together from all of the facts put together and now you're able to see it play out in the true form. Not some shit that's just made up. See, this is what people don't understand. Like I couldn't make up shit like some of the other stories. They just put extra stuff on there and played with 
conspiracy theories and different things like that. I couldn't do that. You know, Snoop is right by my side, right? Snoop is alive, right? Suge, um, Suge is right there with me. You know what I'm saying? I can't lie about Suge and how it went down. I can't make shit up. You know what I'm saying? The security that was on detail every day with Pop, they right there. These are still my, these are all my friends. Like even Haitian Jack, I'm on the phone with Haitian. You know what I'm saying? Just to make sure I got Haitian Jack on the phone with the, the guy who portrayed him, a version of him. He's on the phone talking to Corey Hardy. So Corey comes back into set and adds different things that he just got from the phone conversation that he had with Jack. That's how authentic our shit is, bro. You know what I'm saying? So I respect it. All, 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 all the people that's talking that shit, don't, you know, it's like, I don't worry about the few little naysayers because they got, but our shit is, it's heavy, bro. You know what I'm saying? That's why Buster Rams went crazy. Like, the fuck are you talking about, bro? This shit is the realest. Like, people, everybody that was around that era, they would have crucified me if I did anything wrong. I didn't get none of that. They all supported. Even Diddy was like, that's, I don't know how the fuck you got the club like it was. That's exactly what the fuck it is. It wasn't because I did Diddy no special favors. You know what I'm saying? I didn't make him look great. I just told the truth. You know what I'm saying? And it wasn't no reason for me to go far into keeping the beef going or whatever because Pac wasn't on the beef at by the end. So people still want to be on the beef. and But for what? It makes no sense. We don't got to. That's another story. Somebody else should go tell that part of the story if you want to continue to, to, to perpetuate the nonsense. But that's not in good Pac spirit because Pac wanted to mend all that shit before he passed. See, brother, personally, you did a, a phenomenal job. I enjoyed the movie. As a personal Big Pac fan, like, I've read his books. I've read his love letters about his different poems. I've read a lot about this brother, and I listened to so much of his music and was influenced by it. And then I've been blessed to be around people like Second to None, Spice One, Tom Capone, and I get to hear stories about Tupac where he was like, what he was like in the Bay Area when he was soaking all the game in Berkeley and, you know, how he transpired to like pretty much continue that hustle and develop to where he got to L.A. He was ready and, you know, he continued to jump in the car and roll around with people just to see what life was like. And he was hella loyal. Like that's one thing you can get from anything that Pac did was he was loyal and he was loyal to the, to the love he felt and he returned it. And that's something that, you know, people don't understand that it takes a lot of loyalty in this world of relationships and keeping true to yourself and building so that great things can be accomplished. You know what? No matter what, how other people may feel that the truth gets out, that is on them that they didn't allow that opportunity to showcase what's real. And that's why I appreciate you because you did take an immense amount of time to get this project done so that it was done right. You know, people don't understand what right looks like until you put the right amount of time in and understand what it looks like. And that's something I want to make sure I get across from me to you, that I'm a big fan of that. And I appreciate what you have done to the culture. And on top of what you were able to put out for the biopic, All Eyes on Me, especially as a Pac fan. Appreciate it. Because you got to understand, bro, even to the point where, you know, I'm fighting these folks every day, you know what I'm saying, for the integrity of it. And so when some people like that's that's what I said with the peanut gallery. I, fo I focus and I clear the noise out, but even to the point where like, I got into it with a good friend of mine, you know what I'm saying, that I brought on to direct. I didn't want to get into it with this guy, you know what I'm saying, may he rest in peace. And you know, like, I till to the day when he passed, you know, I put up a big tribute to him because it was, it was just, I just couldn't go with 
certain things. You know what I'm saying? And anybody who is a real Tupac fan and real, they would know these facts because they wouldn't just be lazy and say, oh, this and that, because someone started a smear campaign. We, we know what this jealous guy and what his intentions was. He don't want to put that out there like that. And then the other people that weren't born and whatever, they're just talking. You don't know. You're not, you don't, you got to stand. Tretch, right? When Tretch comes to the set, he's not going to just say, okay, that's cool. If he if it wasn't right, he wouldn't have shed a tear. Guy Tory, Dwayne Martin, you know what I'm saying? Like this thing went through a, a ton of real people that was really there, that really knew pop. And they sat there and they watched it. You know, we, we got it to where it's supposed to be on the real side. Now, if that didn't satisfy some of the, the nonsense, that's not the reason I got into the game. I'm not going to give you that. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to give you this version, which is the truth. Like, you want to see some more wow? That's not what this was. You can't sit there and listen to the gems. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and understand that Pac wanted to change lives and spark mine. Listen to what he said. Like, a lot of people were talking. I said, it's in the movie. The, what you're talking about is in there. You just got to listen. It's in there. Well, he was a revolutionary. It's in there. Yeah. But he never got a chance to mobilize. He had it in theory. He never physically got to go lead a rally, go lead a march, all of that stuff that we're doing now, we, we able to do that, right? He never was able to go lead a march. He never, he spoke at uh, Malcolm X dinner that they had, right? He spoke at, on uh, different interviews. That's, that was his pulpit, the interviews. The Black Expo, things that's on the internet that everybody know about. We know these things. So I took those speeches and put them into his diction and his dialogue. So those parts of the speech would say, well, you didn't show the speech. No, I took this speech and made it dialogue. So if you listen to when he talks to the interviewer and he's getting his point across, those speeches, the dialogue from those speeches are implemented, are implemented in the through line. It's in there. You just got to listen to it. So for me to physically show him standing at the podium at the uh, Black Expo where he did thing, you know, it's in there. We get more mileage by putting the dialogue into his framework because everything you just said of what you loved about Pop, who he is, who he was, and who he wanted to be. That's everything about the man. In the whole, tr any any question you got or want to know, was what, what, what his manhood was based upon? Okay, his father, right? He didn't know him like that. So how did he come up with a? male figure. Through his own words, these are his words, he had to depend upon his mother, Dr. Matulu Shakur, and another very influential guy was a, a, a guy that his mama dealt with named Legs. These were the three people that were the biggest part of him shaping the idea of what a man's supposed to look like. So I put those three people in there to shape that. What does that say? That means that he created a super nigga. A man that don't exist. You know what I'm saying? So therefore, his ideal role model of what he's following and trying to be does not exist. Introducing the machismo that he carried out, that I'm the biggest, I'll do this to anybody, and I'm going to do this, I'm going to do, you know what I'm saying? You can't be like that. You know what I'm saying? Or you die at 25. 
You know what I'm saying? Right. You uh, uh, and he often I'm said this. Man. His mother told him. He said this. His mother told him a stick that doesn't bend breaks. You gotta have some flex to you. You know what I'm saying? There's some deep messaging in that film that a, a kid walked up to me. I was getting out uh, the Indigo Hotel. He worked there, and I was getting out the car, and you know. The cat came up to me, so I'm thinking, I'm like, I grabbed the thing, you know what I'm saying? I get the blower because he looking, he he looking active, you know what I'm saying? He looked like he with the shit. Right. So, and he approaching me in the way where I'm like, yo, hold on real quick, just in case it's gonna be that, you know what I'm saying? Let me do this, right? And he's like, no, 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 hey, bro, bro, bro. Hey, big bro, no, it ain't like that, I just wanna tell you something. You know, I, I got a job here. I'm like, oh, okay, man. He ain't changing to his work clothes yet because the nigga look active. You know, you know how you look. And so I'm like, all right, what's happening? He's like, I just want to tell you, homie, on everything, man, I went to see the movie. I had some situations I was going to deal with that night. After the movie, I ain't going to do the work. That's how much that shit fucked with me. He said it touched me like that. And he went on to say, you know, about that little 5% hate. He like, man, fuck all of these niggas. They don't know nothing about this internet. I'm telling you, I was moving, bro. I laid it down. I laid it down after that. You know what I'm saying? He said, I sat in the theater, waited for the next show, and I watched it again. Mm. He said, bro, I would have, he would have killed somebody that night, bro. You know what I'm saying? And movies sunk into him. So I get a lot of those, and I could, you know, I got thousands of those type of stories. From, you know, like everybody I see always give me that praise, right? And I'm like, I said, I was never looking for it for praise. I just wanted to do my contribution because it wouldn't have never got done, bro. You know what I'm saying? Like people don't understand what, they wasn't sitting around waiting. And they still tried to play games with my number of screens and whatever. It's still, a, we still kicked ass. We did numbers. You know what I mean? And the people that came out was house niggas trying to go against the grain because whatever they reason it was, you know what I'm saying? It wasn't no white people that came after us, bro. That was our own people. It was just nothing but hate. You know what I'm saying? And then they retracted the statements later, whatever. But it's too late. On this man's birthday, y'all gonna come with the bullshit hate and try to split the audience, you know what I'm saying? And try to do whatever. And we still kicked ass. You know what right. I'm saying? But this young man's story, bro, let's just say if that was the only one that I got. Saving whoever he was gonna go, do that life and saving his life, that was enough gratitude for me, bro. That's you know real. That's real. No, you were able to, you know, see the fruits of your labor through another soul that was able to witness it and was like, man, I can't, it was his moment for him to tell you as well. You know, you can't block your blessings by, you know, saying that person looked too active, so I can't even sit down to talk to him. You know, you got to just meet it with the right spirit and look what happens. That's a blessing, bro. I appreciate you sharing that. I I'm always it. approachable. That it's just it's just the way you know L.A. was at, at the time, and, and then like I said, I didn't fend them off. I was just it was if it was gonna be that, I'm ready too. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So you know I accepted with open arms, bro. Like we had a long conversation. You know what I'm saying? And, yeah, uh, that's dope, bro. I got one more question before we gotta wrap up, brother. You know I gotta ask, where are we at with the Death Row biopic? You know to complete the trilogy. Hey, bro, you already see. You know what I'm saying? Um, 
here's the thing with that, man. It's like the energy. It's just a lot of energy, man. It's a lot of it's a lot of energy, and it's still, once again, if I don't got this flag on my back, so you know, when like I said, when people try to tear each other down, if it's not me, I want everybody to win. You know what I'm saying? I don't got to make all these pictures. So even when somebody tried to have a, a back and forth with me about another project, I'm like, there's no beef. You know what I'm saying? Like, I got the rights and I got this and that, but if you can make it faster, go ahead. That was like five years ago. They still ain't make it. You know what I'm saying? Because it's not that easy. Right. You know what I'm saying? You're dealing with a lot of moving parts. So, you know, it's, it, it's got to be done like I said, once again, like I said, I'm responsible. So people can go and just make all type of unauthorized, no no music. You know, I pay $8 million for music. So when they did the other little stuff on TV, whatever, you notice they didn't have no music, no nothing. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's not official. You know what I'm saying? Like, every day, there was all members of the culture on set with me. You know what I'm saying? From friends, family, like everybody on set, bro. Like, so when I do the death row joint, it's all green lighted from the, that's why the whole thing came out when I put Snoop and Shug's audio, a little bit of that on the thing. Cause that phone call that I made happen, both wanted me to record the conversation. Shug and Snoop was like, "Hey, record it just so we can have a document of what the facts are. The two main pieces of the death row joint that Snoop and should, hands down. Everybody else is important for sure, but the elements of getting those two together and on the same page, which I did, was the most important part for me. Now, all that being said, I gotta get my energy because like we got everything, you know what I'm saying? We going, but the energy, I just gotta gotta breathe and get it all the way because I gotta go back and fight, you know? Because they don't, you know, they like to alter history, you know what I'm saying? And, 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 you know, it's not a lot of people, like people know, we know that it's a great story. And it, it was always my thing. It was like, okay, straight out of Compton, all eyes on me, and then the mother load, death row. Yeah. That was always the plan. Like, this is in, everybody knows this is all in my books from 07. You know what I'm saying? I started filming in 1997. My first film was Juana Man. You know what I'm saying? So when I got to deal with Morgan Creek, then moved on to the back lot, I wanted to do these projects. And so when I took, when I got uh, the job with Rufus, you know what I'm saying, when me and Tamika became partners, you know what I'm saying, I knew then, okay, we're going to do the Rufus job. I'm the, still the only person that ever was at Rufus Records and Death Row. Nobody ever did that. You know what I'm saying? I'm the only person that did that high-ranking scenarios. So I. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I'm put like this, man. I'm on it. I'm on it. I'm on the death row joint. Man, it's contrast uncut. It's season four, episode seven. I want to make sure I give a big shout out to Uncle Snoop's Army and Bobby D presents. I appreciate you, brothers. I wouldn't be able to do incredibly dope shit like chop it up with the man, Mr. Educatement. I'm talking about LT Hudden dropping gems. He let them diamonds drop like a thousand at a time and all of them just stop before they hit the ground and just shine. Because the words this brother was spitting was just like watching diamonds dance out the teeth, man. I appreciate you coming on here and just, just giving the guidance in the game and also the correct steering on some people that's, you know, steering off on what's real. 
Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Always, man. It's a pleasure, man. Thank you for having me, man. I see you rocking with the cookies, man. Shout out to Bernie. Ain't no question, man. Shout out to Bobby D, my man. That's my man right there, Bobby D. So big shout out to Uncle Smith Army, man. They're doing great things out there, man. Man, I know you guys can't smell this right now, and I ain't talking about none of that other stuff. I'm talking about some of that good stuff, that smell good stuff. I think it's breakfast. What time is it? It's breakfast time. Make sure you tune in to Contrast Uncut no matter what you're doing. Whether you're eating breakfast, you're smelling good food like I'm smelling, or if you're smelling other stuff, we're good to watch too. Make sure you tune in. Thank you.